Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team and Kit. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. I'm Jason Duff, host here today the IBM North America Oil and Gas League. Today, my two co-hosts are Brian Woodward and Jim Kosas. Hello, Brian. Hello, Jim. Hey, Jason. I see that the Scottish man survived Thanksgiving, so that's good to have you back, right? I did. I'm still confused by that holiday, but let's, that's part of my Texas upper learning from you. I need to go more into that one of what I need to do and how much turkey. You know what it's, turkey for me is Christmas, but clearly it's Thanksgiving here. I'm still getting used to that one. And hey, Jim, sure. this is your first podcast. Can you introduce yourself to the crew? Yeah, so I'm Houston-based, longtime IBMer, and really pleased to be here today. It's a topic near and dear to my heart. What does Energy Workforce for Tomorrow really, what does it mean to you, Jim? I think it's really taking a look at the new types of skills that are really needed to transform organizations. And I think today's discussion is going to be particularly interesting because I think it's an area where we often don't look first for skilled candidates. So I think it's going to be a good conversation with the folks we've assembled today. So this is, I'm going to leave it to you and Brian to introduce this one, but this is the one that everyone wants to talk about. Everyone, we've been planning this for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, actually. But Brian, Jim, do you want to take it away and just yeah, 100%. This. Jason, I mean, the topic is neurodiversity, and we'll let our guest introduce himself. I think we were talking earlier. We have a record number of guests, and I think a tying record for number of hosts. So I believe we've accumulated <laughs> an amazing amount of knowledge for the session today on the topic, and probably very little will come from the three hosts. But yeah, let's get going, because we have a great support from our guest today. Jim, who have we got on? Who have you brought with sure, you? Sure. So- Let's start with Tara Reynolds. Tara. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Tara Reynolds. I am the diversity program advisor for Chevron's talent acquisition function. I'm also the vice president for our enabled employee network, and I am the program manager for our neurodiversity hiring program. Thanks for joining us today, Tara. Jeff, Jeff Miller. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you guys as well. My name is Jeff Miller. I'm the CEO and founder of Potential Workforce. We help organizations to run better by connecting more successfully with neurodiverse workers, whether they're new hires that we help them to find or existing employees that we help them to empower. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. And Jose Valesco. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's having a wonderful day. My name is Jose Valesco, and I joined SAP about 25 years ago. Most of my career at SAP has been in the space of technology, but in 2013, I was fortunate enough to be the lead of the Autism Work Program for seven years. Today, I am one of the co-leads of the Autism Inclusion Network, ENG, and remain very much involved in topics related to neurodiversity in the workplace, Autism at Work at SAP. Very good. Thanks, Jose. Jeff, do you think you can maybe help us frame the problem a little bit? What's going on in the industry and what the opportunity is here? Absolutely. When we talk to our customers and prospects, we hear a lot of the traditional workforce challenges that a lot of people face around retention and engagement and productivity. We recently surveyed a number of our customers and prospects, and two-thirds of them said all of the above. They're all big problems for us. As relates to neurodiversity, you have the added issue of DEI efforts that have been going on for a long time and are often you know, really well thought out. 
don't always connect to those types of challenges? How do they work together? How can DEI help you with engagement and retention and things like that? And as we know from being in the field of neurodiversity as we are, there's great connectivity there. There's actually, you know, it's not only a problem, but a wonderful opportunity when we can bring those things together. On the candidate side, we know that at least 25% of the population is neurodiverse. And a great number of them are either underemployed or unemployed. Many miss out on opportunities because the interview processes that exist today aren't catered, aren't as inclusive for candidates who may think differently and may interview differently and often do. We run into challenges oftentimes even before that. We have candidates who will self-select out. A lot of our candidates are really very literal in what they'll look at. I remember a situation with an individual who was incredibly well qualified for a job, and yet she wouldn't apply for it because she only fit nine out of the 10 categories. And so the hiring manager never got a chance to see this incredibly capable woman who who would have done just a fantastic job. So you see that there are a lot of those challenges that exist where folks just aren't connecting, either because they aren't as aware of the population or the challenges that they face. They may not even be as aware of how many neurodistinct individuals they have within their organizations today. So there are a number of different facets to this challenge that we face that are also tremendous opportunities once you peel back the onion a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And maybe if you can maybe add a little more color around just the definitions that, you you know, neurodiverse, you mentioned DEI, I believe, maybe share that with the audience. I can take that that if that's okay. Yep. Yeah, sure. Please, Jose. Okay, by all means. I think that this is a fundamental part of what we do in neurodiversity. It is defined as an approach to learning and disability that suggests that diverse neurological conditions appear as a result of normal variations in the human genome. And these are oftentimes manifested as conditions like that we are familiar with, like ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, dyslexia, autism, bipolarism. In some cases, we feel that these things are very distant to us and that only a few people are neurodivergent. But the reality is that there's a significant number of people out there, people that we know. For example, ADHD. You can take somebody like Simone Biles, Olympic gymnast of US team, Michael Phelps, ADHD, Richard Branson, obviously innovator and great entrepreneur from the United Kingdom. Bipolar, we have people like Catherine Seta-Jones or Winston Churchill. People with dyslexia, like John Lennon, and people on the autism spectrum, folks like Anthony Hopkins, people like Elon Musk, Dan Accurd, Dr. Temple Grandin, and the list just goes on and on and on. I believe that what we are trying to do today is moving away from the in spite of neurodiversity, in spite of these conditions like ADHD, bipolar, or autism, into the because of what are the salient traits that individuals that are neurodivergent bring to organization, bring to the workplace to make it better and to improve everybody's lives. I understand the unemployment rate, and I don't know if this number is right, but close to what, 80, 85% of this population is unemployed. Could that be right? That is typically the number that has been socialized. I think there's research around this, but you're spot on, Jim. I think 80 to 85% of folks, particularly on the autism spectrum, are underemployed or unemployed. And that is in my opinion, a very significant challenge because we have a wave of talent that is coming towards coming from the education system. In the early years, people did not go to educational institutions, but now through the accommodations that we have provided anywhere between K-12 to universities, we're seeing more and more people 
not only finishing those university degrees, but getting advanced degrees, getting those masters and PhDs. What are we doing in the workplace? And that goes back to what Jeff was mentioning earlier. What accommodations are we providing for this population that is coming in a very high wave to us? What can we do to create a different path to success for people? Jose, just a question. What have we done in the past that's wrong? Neurodiversity is a new word, but what have, have we just been frightened in the past of really talking about this and working at how do we include these skills? I think what Jeff mentioned was spot on. We basically have had a significant amount of failure rate in bringing people in because they do not interview, they do not have a means to access enterprise, the labor market in the same way that everybody else does. The example that Jeff gave of a person that was in her mind very strict about nine out of 10 capabilities that were needed for a particular job not being met. Maybe you and I would win that, Absolutely. Jason. Okay. That's what I was you thinking. Should, you, I was thinking you should look. Jeff. You should see Jason's performance review. I, I don't think it was nine out of ten. But I've never had nine out of ten. It just amazed me what Jeff said, Jose. Of like, wow. I mean, this is yeah, nine out of ten, and we would have won it, Jose, and just gone for it. It's amazing. I don't know. I mean, Jeff and Tara, please comment. But there's going to be some things like looking at somebody in the eye during an interview that many of us do, but that doesn't come naturally to some people, right? The traditional way that we interview focuses a lot on the personality, on, you know, do people make eye contact? Do they have a firm handshake? Can they tell a good joke? You know, things that don't really have anything to do with their ability to do the job, quite frankly. And so that's one of the great things about changing the way we interview is it's actually more fair for everybody because we are assessing candidates now on their job capabilities versus do they have a great personality and do I like the guy? Yeah. You know, Jose, we didn't mention this in the kickoff, but maybe a little known fact about me, but I spent about 13 years at SAP before coming over to IBM. And I had really the privilege to know you, Jose, over there and the privilege to learn a little bit about the program, right? And, you know, I think in my opinion, at least from what I know, I think SAP was an early pioneer in this space, right? At least, you know, I think took a very aggressive and, you know, a stance on this. Can you share what this a little bit about the program, because from what I know from being over there, it's, you know, it's getting through the interview is one aspect of it, but it's also the care system and the support system around the employees after the interviews and getting them on board that make. So tell us a little bit about that journey and how that evolved. And Tara, maybe you could follow up with what's going on at Chevron, right? Which I think is a very much a great story as well. By all means, in 2013, SAP announced the launch of the SAP Autism Work Program. I do have a personal connection with the topic. I have two adult children who are on the autism spectrum. And as a parent, you know, working in the engineering department as vice president of products, I was just logging in, doing my daily job when I saw this email announcing this program called Autism at Work at SAP. And for me and for my wife was something extraordinary to see finally that there was a little bit of hope that an employer, our employer, was doing something to not only mitigate the, the challenges of employment that people on the autism spectrum have, but also try to look at talent in a completely different way. So I was so proud about this. I raised my hand and I basically started a volunteer as part of the program. Later on, it became my full-time job for close to seven years, changing careers momentarily there for going from technology into what I would call a business transformation initiative, because this is what it is in the end. It's a business transformation initiative. 
The program started with a few pilots around five countries. Among those countries, we had Ireland, we had the United States, Canada, Germany, and India. And the idea behind that was to try to understand how we could create the support systems. To your point, Brian, it's not only identifying the talent, but what do we do with the talent to providing a long-term career at a company like SAP? Okay. So we created the systems we created. We learned about the processes that we needed to modify. And then eventually over the years, we have implemented the program in 16 countries. We employ autistic colleagues at SAP in 29 different types of roles in every board area or division that we have in the company, ranging from human resources all the way to colleagues that are customer facing and consulting, okay, that are autistic. A huge, huge variety. We have this beliefs, I think, and maybe, you know, Jeff and Tara can comment on this in a little bit about stereotypical perspectives of autistic people. They always say that if you've met one person on the spectrum, you have met only one person on the spectrum. Every individual is different. And that's what we have learned, the variety of skills that we have in the organization. The personalities are as varied as anybody else out there. So in summary, the program, again, is in 16 countries today. We have provided over the years close to 600 opportunities for autistic people that have ranged from student opportunities, high school students, all the way to people that are getting you know, full-time tenure type of positions within the company. That's really incredible, Jose. And I think a huge value add to the organization, I mean, as you and I have discussed in the past, is this is not a competitive disadvantage, right? This is a competitive advantage because we went through, you know, a lot of the celebrities that we all recognized. I think we all have our hidden strengths and our hidden talents and the secret to life is trying to bring those out. And I think in the you know technology space or in the oil and gas space where there's some really complex problem sets that need to be addressed, there's some unique skill sets that we can bring forward here as well, right? Yeah, 100%. I think this is probably something that Tara can comment on being in oil and gas. Tara, maybe you can share a little bit of experience here of Chevron valued SAP customers. Yeah, a little about our background. We're newer in this space and much, much smaller. We're not in 16 countries yet. (laughs) But, you know, I started on this journey working with some, when I was in the part of the enabled network, I was working with some parents of kids with neurodiversity. And several of the parents had grown kids or, or about to be grown kids, and they were all expressing fears about what was next for their kids. You know, my kid's doing great in high school, but I just don't know what's going to happen, you know, when they get out of college and, you know, what kind of a job future is my child going to have with autism? And I didn't know the answer to that. And I just started doing some research to to say like, what's out there? You know, what answers can I maybe find for some of these parents? And I found companies like SAP and Microsoft and IBM and Bloomberg and all these other giant names were already hiring people on the autism spectrum and we weren't doing it. And Chevron is, you know, one of our biggest values is diversity and inclusion. And I thought if these other companies can do it, we can do it too. You know, so it's a long story, but I did a lot of research. In fact, as Jose was one of the first people I called, I did some benchmarking with some of those big names that I mentioned just to understand how they built their programs. And so we definitely were standing on some pretty strong shoulders when we built our program over here. And then Jeff at Potentia was one of the next people I called and he wound up, Potentia wound up being the vendor that we chose to help us build our program. And we piloted that program back in, we started recruiting in 2019 and we had our first hires into, it's an intern to hire program. We had our first hires in March of 2020. 
which I don't know if you guys remember what was going on in the world at that time. But our first week, we had interns in the office. And by week two, the entire world was home. (laughs) So there were some (laughs) challenges with our pilot, but we came through those. And all of our positions so far at Chevron have been IT roles. We do hope to expand beyond that. But these were IT hires we had initially. They're all doing well here still. And then we relaunched the program this year. We're about to make 11 hires in the U.S., all in our IT function, a variety of positions. And then this year, we also expanded to include recruiting in Argentina and in the Philippines. Very Very proud of our program. That's amazing, Tara. And Jeff, I mean, you're obviously pretty uniquely positioned in this, right? Given, you know, you support companies by providing, you know, a pipeline. Can you tell us a little bit about what Potentia does and how you, you know, help candidates, I think, prepare to get placed in companies like Chevron and SAP? And then what do you guys do to try to make sure they're supported and successful from your side? You bet. No, absolutely. And it's great to be on with Jose and Tara because both of them were really instrumental in the growth of Potentia. I started out, I was running a company, global workforce management company, totally unrelated to neurodiversity, but I have a teenager who's autistic. So I started a research project. And you heard a lot about research, right? Just as a dad, to try to figure out how I could support my son, Charlie, as he was moving into adulthood. And I'm fortunate that I had a number of contacts, but very quickly got pointed in the direction of Jose and talked with him and a number of the other leaders in the space that were doing neurodiversity hiring programs. And we've really built our success on the shoulders of pioneers like Jose and the folks at Microsoft and Chase and Ernst and Young that were really early adopters of this. And so certainly give them a ton of the credit for it. But The thing that I learned when I was researching just as a dad was, number one, I didn't realize how big the population was. We've talked about it, but, you know, fully 25% of the adult population or more is neurodistinct in one way or another for folks like, and then the second thing I learned was just how effective these programs were. You heard Jose talk about how broad the program is and the numbers of different roles. But as I talked with people, I learned the average retention rate for a program like this is about 96%. And the candidates that get hired typically outperform their peers. They tend to be about 50% more productive than individuals with similar levels of experience. And they're more innovative. They pick up new skills faster. So you're really talking a lot of ways about ideal employees who, as we talked earlier, interview a little bit differently. And then when I asked Jose and some of the other folks that were doing this, well, how many other Fortune 500 companies are doing this? And they said, not enough. It's really, it's a handful. And that was really what made me say to myself, hey, whatever skills I have, I really need to put them to use in service of this community. And that's why we founded Potentia. But what we do is we've got two offerings, essentially. STARS is our main offering, and that stands for Spectrum Training, Recruitment, and Support. So we work with companies to train them on, okay, what is neurodiversity? Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. The term itself was only coined in 1998, even though neurodiversity we know has existed forever. And what are the business benefits of neurodiversity? And then how can you implement it in your organization? And while we're doing that, we're recruiting for pre-established roles, like the way that Tara talked about. You know, once the managers are trained, then we're shortlisting candidates and we revise our interview process. We could talk a little bit more about that, but it's we really want to make it more of a show me interview process than just a tell me interview process. And that really, we've seen that, by the way, be implemented for a lot of other programs that have nothing to do with neurodiversity. We find that it's not only inclusive, but it's a, a really predictive way to find really good candidate. And then the last piece is the support piece. So once candidates are hired, we support both the hiring managers and the new hires through a structured process to get them to the point 
generally after about 90 days where they're just as autonomous as anybody else with similar experience. Then the second program we have is something called Empower, and that's really geared toward current employees. So one of the things that we're finding more these days is companies are really starting to realize they've got more neurodiverse employees than they ever realized that they had. And the reason they don't know is because these employees are typically not disclosing. And so how do you create environments where people feel more comfortable to disclose if they want to, but more importantly, to advocate for what they need to be happy and productive and to be able to lean in and be able to offer up suggestions about how the company could be more inclusive. And so that's really how we do what we do between STARS and Empower. Jeff, just a question about the companies as well. If you look, a lot of people now are, you know, it's a bit like saying net zero, et cetera. I feel sometimes people say, yeah, we're inclusive, neurodiversity, but you said something there was interesting. People really, we need to start waking up and understanding and putting the right programs together, right? And really understanding what it is and what we need to do, correct? I just wonder how many of the companies out there have said it, yes, as a tick in the box versus, yeah, I'm really going to do something different here. Because you're training people as well as what you just said, right? It's not just bringing candidates, Jeff. You're training the companies to manage. No, that's absolutely right. And we've talked to some companies who we've decided not to work with because they viewed us as a headhunter for autistic people. And we've said, look, you know, there's a reason why the unemployment rates are 80 to 85%, and it's not the fault of the candidate. These companies are not as inclusive by design. They just haven't been designed to be that way. It's not that they're bad people. They haven't you know, figured out how to do that, and we help them to do that. So that's absolutely critical. You've got to be willing to, and I want to point out too, you don't need to turn your business on its head to do that. And Tara and Jose can certainly, I think, back that up. But these are really common sense tweaks that you want to make in terms of how you recruit, how you onboard, how you manage, how you career path people to make it more inclusive for people. So there are some you know, design tweaks that you'll want to make. But as we've mentioned, typically those tweaks accrue to the benefit of the entire organization, right? If you develop a really good mentoring program, that's going to benefit everybody. Everybody's going to benefit. If you get really good at onboarding and really clear about what you expect from people in day one, week one, month one, that's going to help everybody. So we find that consistently. But there, you know, there are some tweaks that you need to make beyond just saying, hey, I'm willing to hire neurodiversity. Yeah, the other thing that you need to do, and Jeff and Potentia have helped us a lot with, is to educate the broader organization. You know, we are small in our neurodiversity hiring program, so we've only truly trained a few managers and a few mentors that are taking part in the program. But we've done several full enterprise trainings around neurodiversity in the workplace that all of our employees have been invited to just to spread the word, right? You know, your coworker may be neurodiverse. How should you approach this person? How should you communicate with this person? Your new subordinate may be neurodiverse, even though you didn't take part in this program. So we're really trying to go the extra mile and get the whole organization educated around, you know, what this means and how we can support each other in the workplace beyond just the hiring program itself. I also find as well, Brian, Jim, you and I were talking about before, there is a fear of using the wrong terminology, right? I mean, autism versus neurodiversity. Do you say heavily or lightly autistic, etc.? It's a difficult subject, right? I think it's like talking. That also makes it difficult, right, Tara? I find that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the way we talk about it isn't, you know, we don't say heavily or lightly, or we talk about supports. This person may need a little bit more support. This person may need a little less support. And that's sort of how we approach really any kind of disability in the workplace here at Chevron. We really talk about the support and accommodations someone may need, not necessarily 
how they function, but what they may need to be successful. And I think things like this podcast and other things, Jeff, will make it easier for us to talk about and understand and then say, okay, I want to do something. How do I want to go for it? Adding on to Tara's point, one of the things we talk about is we have a saying at Potential, learn the lesson, lose the labels, right? So Love it. it's sometimes tempting when you learn about autism or ADHD or these different, you know, things maybe you're a little bit less familiar with to think, oh, well, you know, so-and-so disclosed to me that they're autistic. That must mean X. Well, no, it doesn't. All that is, is an invitation to get to know the individual better. And so what we're doing is really helping to create that communication channel where managers can practice that person-centered leadership and understand what the individual needs, whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical. It's really, you know, there's really, everyone has their individual preferences their individual needs. And so meeting them where they are as individuals is really the key, you know, way beyond any kind of labels. I think that ultimately what we strive for is really to create an environment in which we don't, as Tara said, and Jeff, you also said it, eliminate the label. We are all part of a spectrum. We all have needs. And ultimately what I believe that we are striving for is to accommodate for human in the workplace. I think that we all have some traits of some way or some or another that puts us in that spectrum. Some of us are probably feeling more comfortable in a public speaking type of situation while other people are not. Some people don't want to sit in front of the tables and they want to take a step back and sit there. Some people are going to be extremely good at the infinitesimal level of detail that some discipline requires while other people are going to be generalists. And I believe that as we move forward with this topic of neurodiversity, we're going to be able to get a much better understanding, not only on the quote-unquote accommodations that we need to provide one another in an organization, because this is a peer-to-peer model in the end, but also really having a deeper understanding on the strengths that people with certain profiles bring into the organization. We haven't talked about the benefits of depth in here, but at SAP, we have seen a variety of different categories of benefits of implementing programs like this one. We have seen teams that are working better as a result of having somebody with a neurological difference in the team. We have seen some of our colleagues on the autism spectrum file for patents on behalf of the company. So there's a promise of innovation and bringing a different perspective to the workplace. We have seen also a completely different way for us to connect with our business partners and our customers that moves away completely from a transactional relationship to one that is based on purpose. Because in the end, we all want to enrich our workforces with the best talent that we can. And when there's a talent pool as abundant as what we have here in the neurodivergent community, I think there's an opportunity for everybody to do the right thing as well. Jeff, Tara, from a benefits perspective, do you share this? Do you have other benefits that you have seen already within your organizations? I'll share a story, Jose. There was one that came about. I had a client of ours who's a CIO. He called me out of the blue to thank me. We'd done a couple of programs with them. I said, well, sure. Tell me what I did to deserve this or what we did. And he said, well, he said, I've got a bit of a reputation as a hard driver with my teams, right? And it's well-deserved, right? I expect a lot of them and I'm a bottom line guy, but I got to tell you, and I didn't expect this, but when we started doing this program with you guys, where we were hiring new neurodistinct individuals into our team and we started publicizing it, he said, and he runs a pretty big organization. He's a CIO with a Fortune 500 company. He's got a pretty big organization. He said, I've had five or six people individually come to me 
at different times and disclose the fact that neurodistinct mm -hmm. themselves. And these are people that have been with me for 10 years in some cases, and I didn't know. But he said, what I want to thank you for is it gave me the opportunity to show them the other side of me and to show them how I appreciated them as and valued them as individuals. And don't get me wrong, I'm still a hard driver. But he said, I don't know that I would have had that opportunity mm -hmm. with these key individuals on my team to be able to show that side of myself and to connect with them on a deeper level without this program. And so that just, you know, I mean, you live for calls like yeah. that. Same over here. Our managers are better communicators. They're more structured with their teams. They're better listeners. You know, so the benefit to our managers has been great. The other benefit I wanted to mention is the benefit to our candidate pipeline. You know, especially with these IT roles that we're recruiting for, these are hard to fill positions. And this is a very small, you know, candidate pipeline to begin with. And so when we open that pipeline up to consider candidates we didn't used to consider, it just makes good business sense. We have more candidates to hire for these hard to fill positions. So that's, you know, I'm in talent acquisition. So this is an important one to me. The more we can fill, you know, these positions with qualified candidates that maybe we didn't even consider before, the better off we all are. Jeff, you know, one of the things that you mentioned as part of the STAR program was revising the interview process. And I'm keen to maybe if you could touch on that one a little bit, because I think there are these biases that we all kind of have and the traditional interview process may filter out some really strong candidates and be keen to just at least understand some of the broad strokes around, you know, how we can become a little bit more aware of the talents that this group may bring. Absolutely. No, happy to. I'd say probably one of the biggest elements of it is that we want to take the surprise out of the interview process. We want to structure it and we want the candidates to know exactly what's going to be expected of them. In a lot of cases, these are candidates that have interviewed in the past and despite being really bright and really capable, have interviewed with companies that don't have, you know, that have somewhat antiquated interviewing processes. And so in a lot of cases, they haven't done very well. And so they may come in really anxious. And so you're not necessarily going to get you know, the best of what that candidate could be just on a normal Tuesday afternoon. So, you know, we want to structure it in a way that sort of takes the guesswork out of it and lays out for them exactly what's going to happen so they, they can settle into it and get a little bit more comfortable. But probably the biggest thing that we do is we try and shift, like I was saying earlier from that, tell me why you're a good developer to show me how you're a good developer, right? So part of what we bake into the process is a mini project that we'll have those individuals do, and then they'll come back and they'll present that. And a lot of our candidates also, they may struggle a little bit talking about themselves. So not only is this a great predictor of how they'll be because you're actually having them do work that's related to what they'd do if they got the job, but it's a great icebreaker because as a manager, you can talk to them and you can say, boy, I was really interested in your approach on that project. Could you tell me more about it? And we've seen candidates that may have trouble with the tell me about yourself question, but they really light up when it's the show me you know, what your approach was here and why. And again, we want inclusive, but we want predictive because we've got to get good people into these roles. Those are a couple of the ways that we do it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, guys, as we sit here and talk, right, and maybe we kind of consciously knew this coming into the conversation, but it's something that maybe is overlooked is rather you have a formal program around neurodiversity in your yeah. company. You have neurodiverse people in your company. And Jeff, when you talked about the story of, you know, your customer coming back to you and thanking you that you know, that he's had existing employees that weren't part of the formal program come and open up and feel comfortable, you know, talking about their neurodiversity in the workplace. There's such an exponential effect here, 
right? You know, and maybe, you know, it obviously takes a lot of, you know, maybe energy to sort of formalize a recruiting channel around it. But maybe the smaller step in the journey is recognizing that you have it in your workforce already and embracing it and getting, you know, it's interesting. We interviewed the CEO of a company called NookPods, Mm -hmm. you know, a few weeks ago on a podcast. And one of the things that he mentioned is the physical workplace environment is built for the extrovert, right? It's built for, you know, these traditional things that we discussed in this discussion about, you know, what's your personality like? And that's how you get the job or you go into the, you know, you go to the panel interview and you get grilled by five people on a panel. I mean, you know, no matter how extroverted you are, that's a really high pressure situation and probably not a really good indication of how you're going to perform. But I think that's to me is the big takeaway is you can take this journey in small steps and really start to be self-aware, if you will, of what you already have in your workforce and accommodate that and then extend from there. Right. And maybe that is something that a lot of our listeners, maybe it's just in their team. It doesn't have to be at the corporate level. It's just recognizing what uniqueness you have in your team and how to how to embrace that and how to be more inclusive. Right. If I can add to this point, I think it's an extremely important one, Brian. When we are asked how can we get started in this journey of neurodiversity, one of the best ways to do it is to start an employee resource group or an employee network group. And the reason why that is important is because you're going to be able to get, just like we do, I'm a Latino, we have Latinos at SAP or we have women in technology at SAP. We started an autism inclusion network group at SAP. We kicked it off in the United States with the idea of piloting. We have presence in more than 200 countries, but we said, let's start in one country, get a feeling as to how many people are interested in the topic. We were crossing our fingers. We're hoping that we would get 30 to 40 people in the first kickoff call. When we launched that call, we ended up with 560 people registering for the call. Wow. What that tells me is that there's a lot of people that have our parents or brothers or sisters or siblings, or maybe, as Jeff was pointing out earlier, individuals that are neurodivergent that have, have not had an opportunity to have a conversation and be part of that group. This is really important to get that momentum going, to form that group. After that, the question of where do we go from here? Can we start a jobs program is the next big question that one would ask. But I really think, and I don't know if you see it the same way, Jeff and Tara, getting momentum within the employee base is fundamental to get something like this going, getting it off the ground. I would agree with that. I would also agree with just start right? That's what I did. I had no idea how to build a program like this. I wasn't even in a job where I was a program manager of any kind. It was just a passion I had. And so I just started, I started doing research. I started talking to my network here at Chevron and just mentioning the program, you know, that other companies have. And, you know, finally you start finding people who have children with autism or who have autism themselves. And, you know, they may not be able to help, but they can introduce you to a person who might be in a position to help. And so, using my network and talking to more people and developing a business case. Secondly, right? You start talking to people and you start doing things and you show the business what you can do for them with a program like this. And that's how you get it started. But you just take that first step. I mean, if you want to do it, you can do it. You just have to get moving. Yeah, there have been a number of really good points here around how to get started. I think, like we said, acknowledging that you have this population already, right? doing some homework yourself. The idea of research has come up. There are a lot of great resources out there. 
you know, and I can tell you this community of individuals and companies that are leading are more than happy to share their best practices and talk about what's worked. I remember when Jose and I had early conversations, we talked about what worked and what maybe he'd do a little differently if he had it to do over again. People are really open. There's tremendous resources out there. And then start something, like Tara said, start a small pilot. But what that shows, because you got to consider the psychology of these candidates, consider the psychology of that candidate who's been with your company for 10 years and has never disclosed. There's a reason why they haven't. It's not that you're a bad company or you have a bad culture. It's just that these candidates, a lot of times, have had, you know, challenges in the workplace in the past. They're a little apprehensive about stigma or about, you know, how are people going to view me? And so when a company steps forward and they're intentional about this and they say this is important to us and they show it with their actions, then all of a sudden you start getting candidates that are coming forward. So when you have that employee resource group that Jose mentioned, you're going to have many more people who want to be a part of it, whether they're individuals who are neurodistinct themselves or allies. And now you've got a group that you can listen to, right? Because that's really where you want to get to. You want to get that group that is well represented and is, as I was saying earlier, is comfortable to disclose if they want, but more importantly, to advocate for themselves and to help the company to run better. Is the last thing I'll say on this topic is these are a lot of people who, by definition, think differently. So if you're looking to innovate, you really want to tap into this population, but you want to make sure that you're creating an environment where people feel comfortable to make those contributions. I think what Tara said as well, Jeff, of just picking up and really understanding what is it and us also getting out more sort of awareness of what it is, what it's not, and how do we do it? That's what I'm picking up from this. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed, I actually not interviewed, I got a CV from a neurodiverse candidate last week. And he said to me, it's not all on my CV. I need to show you something. So thank you, Jeff, Tara, and Jose. Now I understand why he said so. Because last week, I personally was confused of, hold on, why is it not on his CV? Now I understand this sort of person. And I think there's more, if we talk about it more, we do more in depth and we have more awareness then there will be more and then we'll understand more. So thank you, the three of you guys, because you've just helped me right away of, you know, a very simple thing of a CV and then confusion of why not son. But it was so easy. And I love your point, Tara. We all need to pick up and understand what is it? What is it not? How do we deal with it? Perfect. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Jose, I think you said it earlier, right? This is really just about being human, right? And it's Absolutely. about realizing the differences in humanity and we all have our uniqueness and our strengths and our weaknesses and building your organization to rally around that and to get the best out of everybody, no matter, you know, rather they're traditionally neuro traditional or neurodistinct. It's really about embracing, you know, the diversity in the organization. You know, I would say, Jason, I know that we had one of these, you know, sessions on leadership in the Houston office the last couple of weeks. I would say, let's add this as a topic for the next one. I think it would be really wonderful to maybe have our guests back and do a live session and invite a broader set of customers to come learn the story because it's such an important topic. I know that everybody in the phone is super passionate about it. I don't think there's probably not a person on the planet that isn't impacted in some way through family or friends by neurodiversity. But maybe you know more importantly, and Jeff, you said it, it I think best is how do you use this to make your organization Absolutely. run better? right? And to make you a better company, make you a better manager, make you a better person, right? So really want to thank you guys for 
joining and telling the story. And it was really great for you to spend some time. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And Brian, I think you're spot on with inviting this group back because we did Conscious Leadership Guys with about 80 people in the IBM building a month ago, and we're going to do it in January. And we were raising money for charity for Red M, which was human slavery and sex trafficking. So we were using $25 admission fee, talking about it, but then learning conscious leadership. So we're not all sitting talking about human slavery, getting angry and doing what we want to do. That's what the Red M charity does. I'd love to, let me talk to David Reed because I'd love to get this on the agenda as well, because I'd love the view of raising money for charity, but Houston-based, and what do we need to do? And this story, for me personally, I think it's awareness, Brian, Jim. I mean, that's what I've got from this, and that's what I really, Jim, is that your sort of takeaway from the awareness and sort of understand what the companies need to do and how do we act? And yeah, it's humanity, as Jose said. Jim? Yeah, again, I think you know, everyone would agree that it's almost like a puzzle piece, right? Where there's, you know, the opportunity of having this deep kind of talent pool available. There's organizations that benefit from it. The people benefit from it. It's just a matter of getting started. And from what I've heard, I mean, there's lessons that can be learned, but the key thing is to do something and to get started. So guys, thank you very much, everyone, for attending today. I love this podcast. I think, Brian, Jim, have we got another one then with taking this on as a phase two? Is that what we're thinking about in the next couple of months? Or a couple yeah, of weeks? absolutely. I mean, I think we've only started to scratch the surface. I think we want to talk to some other companies that are doing some interesting things in this area and to get some folks that are neurodiverse to actually tell their story. So looking forward to those sessions coming up. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Let me wrap up. Thank you very much, Brian, Jim, Jeff, Tara, Jose. Fantastic. Really, really enjoyed that. And thank you very much, Look forward to talking to you guys in the next one. Fantastic cover in terms of what we need to do and what do we need to do next to make the right moves. Listeners, thank you very much. As we always said, this is our, what, three months into this podcast now. Please give us your comments. We really will and agree to adapt, adopt, and improve our podcasts. If you want to be like Jeff, Tara, Jose, and you want to get involved in the podcast, please drop us a note. Between Jim, Brian, my other co-hosts, we'd be delighted to get you on. If it's okay, Jeff, Tara, Jose, I think we'll put all your details in the footnotes on iTunes so you guys can reach out to the right people. You don't have to come back to Brian, Jim, and I. And so thank you. That's another podcast. And hey, Brian, just, yeah, great. As we always said, I think this podcast for me has lived up to exactly what it should have been, right, Brian? Yep. That's a wrap, Jason. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Great topic. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. (laughs) 